Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview individuals who have survived addiction. I have a good friend of mine, Evan. So I was just telling you, like, dude, I have a lot of people ask me to be on the show. And a lot of times I'm like, dude, I don't know you. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you're telling the truth. I don't know if you're high. Right. Not that I'm saying you're lying. Right. But it's just hard to have someone on the show that I don't know. And if I have someone on the show that I don't know, it's like recommended from somebody who I've known for 20 years mm. or 10 years who knows this person. Right. You know, it's pretty incredible that we're like on episode 91 or 92. Pretty much 99% of the show are people that I formerly have known for years, right. you know? Someone was asking me today, like, who's on Hell as an Exit this week? I'm like, oh, my buddy Evan. He's like, what's his story? I was like, dude, I saw him in and out for a long time. <laughs> yep. Like years. Years. So, um, decades. Decades, yeah, yeah. So I remember I had a commitment at a county fund, state-funded place. And I just remember you in there, like... How many times do you think you've been there? Wow. I was just talking about that place the other day. Yeah. 10? 10 times. In and out? Yeah. You know, whether it was the detox, whether it was the, the long term, whether it was whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I just stopped going to places like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just wasn't part of my story anymore. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it didn't work. And it's not that it didn't work. It's just that I didn't work anything. Yeah. A lot of know? times I've had people say like, you know, why do I need to go to rehab? It didn't work last time. Right. And I was just like, well, it's not about like it didn't work. Yep. I mean, it gives you a fighting chance. It does. And some people don't have the luxury to go. Some people don't even know. Don't right? know. So don't there's know. only 10% yeah. of us mm -hmm. get to make it into a treatment center setting. Yeah. Yeah. Something like 10%, which yeah. is that other 90% doesn't even know there's a way out. Yeah. They have no idea that there's or, a way yeah. out. You know, When I went to detox the first time, I could have went here the whole right. time. Right. Like, dude, there was so many times right. I was like struggling out on the street yep. trying to make it work, yep. sick at my house. Yep. I could have just walked in here, got subs, mm -hmm. got detoxed, got some food, yep. been able to get a reprieve. Yeah. I was always like... I know the sub maintenance. Yeah. I'm going to do that at home. Yeah. I got I'll this. just taper off on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I started using, mm -hmm. you know, Suboxone addictively. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I use that addict. I, I, I always tell the story about cutting my Suboxone strips like an alcoholic. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? They all had to be the same size. They had to be the same shape. They had to be the <laughs> wow, same. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. Gosh. I mean, when you're talking about puddle shooting junkies, that's me, uh -huh. man. Like to the every nth degree. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was no problem with that. Because we have a facility in California. A lot mm -hmm. of the doctors are really pro sub maintenance. And I'm not trying to like bash sub maintenance. I think there's like a purpose for it. I just don't believe in the thought process of like, some people can't get clean. Yeah. And the best thing for them is to be on this medication yeah. that's highly addictive yeah. for the rest of their lives. Like who would get clean if it's like, hey, you want to take this drug or you want to get clean? So when you give someone an out, it's of course you're not going to get clean. Yeah. And this doctor was like, well, Suboxone lowers people's relapse rate 50%. Mm. And I was like, but they're high. <laughs> right. Because it's not like it doesn't stop you from relapsing. And two, it's like the reason why I'm an addict is because I can't manage medication. Correct. I abuse medication, right. you know what I mean? Right. If I was on subs, it yeah. would be a matter of time before I'm selling it. Yeah, and I am not here to judge anybody's mm -hmm. cleanliness, yeah. you know what I mean? So I was that guy that was like, you know, Suboxone is not the way, you know? You, that's, you're not sober if you're doing yeah. that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're not clean if you're doing that. But for me, and I, all I can speak on is my experience, mm -hmm. I never knew how to do anything effectively, right? Yeah. So if you gave me something that was like, this is an easy way out, mm -hmm. I was staying on it for years and years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that that just never, in my experience, nothing like that ever worked for me, yeah. you know? And it's scary now because of fentanyl. So like sometimes I deal with parents who are like, dude, I would love it if he got clean. Yeah. But I'm so scared that he's going to die. Yeah. So at least on subs, I know he's okay. Yeah. The thing is, is that being on subs, it's like a ticking time bomb too. Yeah. For, for me, it, could, it couldn't be a lifestyle thing. It had to be a means to an end. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it had to be a Suboxone certain- Suboxone at like a short taper is yep. great yep. And, and whatever. But when it's really prescribed, I think the worst part about it is people believing 
that they can't get clean. Right. I think that's what makes me so sad. Sure. It's not that, you know, I want to sit on my high horse and be like, everyone needs to do what I do. Right. I've been on Suboxone and yep. I've been clean. Yep. And it's not the same. Correct. Food doesn't taste the same. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, it's literally like when you're on subs, like you can get a job and you can eat food yep. and you can, you know, you'll take a healthy shit, you yep. know, like you could look normal. Yep. But when you get off of it, you're just like, wow. And, and, and it was me because really like codependency is the root of my issues, mm-hmm. right? You know, drug use and alcohol use is like, to me, the most sincere form of codependency. I let the substance, I let the place, mm-hmm. I let the people dictate who I am and not the other way around, you know? So if I was still in my experience, if I was still doing the Suboxone, I'm just still acting codependently, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I need that thing to help mm-hmm. me go through whatever I have to during the day, you know? I always tell you're not going to eat pizza, but we're going to give you pizza rolls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, uh, you know, like, like, what are we really doing? And you know what? You know what? People tell me that are addicts, they'll be like, well, you're addicted to cigarettes and caffeine. Mm. And I'm like, mm. yeah, I am. Yeah. But it doesn't affect my life. Right. And even, you know what? Like me going on this spiritual journey mm-hmm. has forced me to look at everything under the microscope yeah. of recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Always, I have to view everything through the prism of recovery. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll have to check out my pre-workout intake. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll have to check out what kind of pre-workout I'm using. Mm-hmm. You know, Sometimes I have to check out what I need the pre-workout for. Like that, my spiritual journey has forced me to look at mm-hmm. everything like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's like you know? food and whatever, and it's yep. like all sorts of overeating, oh, and then it's overworking out. Yep. So it's like whatever. But like to me, like I believe that we have things that we overdo. Yeah. But it's not, like to me an addiction is something that, messes with like your housing, Mm -hmm. your finances, Mm -hmm. your commitments. Mm -hmm. So if I'm saying I'm going to be at work and I'm not going to work. Right. If I say that I'm going to be at your wedding and I'm not showing up to your wedding. Right. And then it's that's intertwined with intimacy and relationships with family and stuff like that. So if something's messing up those four things or three of those four things, that's an addiction. If I pick up golf and I'm golfing a lot, am I addicted to golf? Right. Or am I just golfing a lot? Right. Now, if I'm lying to my boss about fucking being at work and I'm golfing, (laughs) yeah, that's a problem. Or lying to my wife or lying to my kids or I can't pick up my kids because I'm golfing that day. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand because, and that that took a lot for me too because I was up on my high horse about sobriety. You know what I mean? Well, you need to Uh be in, you need... Then we all do. And then I had a sponsor that was like Uh the mind ninja, man. He's got 39 years. Wow. And he told me... Early on in recovery, I had to remove the word you from my vocabulary, Mm. right? I was no longer allowed to say the word you because I barely know how to live my life. Once I start saying the word you, Mm -hmm. I start talking at you instead of to you. And nobody likes to be talked at. I used to do it in my step work. Mm. Even in my step work, I'd be saying the word you. Yeah. And my sponsor would be like, dude, what are you doing, you weirdo? Who is this person? Like, yeah, what? Like, this is your step work. I don't (laughs) hear about like you fucking talking about other people or what other people need to do. He was like, dude. Me and I. Yep. That's it. Yep. It's a forcing myself to look in the mirror word. Mm -hmm. When I say I and my experience, it forces me to look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And it makes, it changes the whole train of thought even. Even the feeling of like when you talk to someone who's saying you words and where are you from? I'm from South Florida, man. I'm a native just like you. I was born in Margate and then we moved to Homestead Mm -hmm. and then Hurricane Andrew hit. And that was like really my first traumatic experience. Hurricane Andrew. Hurricane Andrew. We lived in Homestead. Oh my so, God. Yeah, so, so we far. were. Was that 95? 92. 92. Wow. 92. And we were so in the eye of Hurricane Andrew that when the eye went over, we got to go out and look. So it was complete devastation. It was not only complete devastation of our house, but of my life, like a total upheaval of life. You know, I was always really good at being the codependent. So I was more worried about how everybody else was instead of how it affected me, mm-hmm. you know. That's why I fully cemented in the thought process that you're that I am born with this thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I can look at look at things in my life in my childhood where I was being manipulative or where mm-hmm. I was being a scammer or where I was being a schemer or a liar, right? And that was really the first one of it, like going over my step work and realizing like, hey, I never dealt with that. I never dealt with that trauma, you mm-hmm. know? Just a sudden upheaval of life. Everything I know is gone. And the only thing I can remember thinking about was how are my parents? How is my sister? How is everything else? And not because I'm a good guy, just because I didn't want to feel mm-hmm. whatever was going on at that time. Yeah. We moved from Homestead to Tampa and then we came to Broward. Um, and that's where I've been since like 93, mm-hmm. you know? I lived in Cooper City pretty much my whole life. I went to Pioneer Middle School. Mm-hmm. I went to Cooper City High School. 
straight A student up through fifth grade, man. Mm -hmm. School was of the utmost importance. Parents got divorced when I was like 10. And again, I, I can remember the codependent. Like I, I am fully convinced that codependency will take me back to living a life mm -hmm. that I don't want to live faster than the drugs and alcohol yeah. will, you know? So I can remember being like, oh, this is good for them. Yeah. They're fighting all the time. You know what I mean? This is good for them. Not really dealing Thinking with about, it. Not yeah. really dealing with the issues. And then sixth grade hit and I started making every bad decision that I possibly could have, you know, whether it was who I was hanging out with, whether it was what I was placing importance on. And really sixth grade, the last part of sixth grade is the first time I tried narcotics. And wow. it, it was what, like that aha moment, mm -hmm. you know, that was the aha moment, right? Like I had found where I, where I thought I belonged, yeah. you know what I mean? And then it was, re it was really on from there, man. Like, Middle school was a whirlwind. Um, you know, my story's like everybody else. In high school, I couldn't go to regular high school. I had to go to a program. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I was in my first treatment center at 14. It's like, you know, I always say this, like everybody knows how to use and drink. Yeah. You know, I knew how to use and drink really, really, really extremely well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I knew how to hustle extremely well. I knew mm -hmm. how to manipulate extremely well. And what I didn't know is how to get clean and sober, you know, mm -hmm. and I can remember you at the 10, you know, yeah. I mean, early on, I was probably like 16, being at the 10, sitting in the back, mm -hmm. raising my hands, crying because I couldn't get into bark detox, wow. right? You know, and I can remember these things as little, and that's what God does for me, right? Like God has a way of tapping me on the shoulder first and being mm -hmm. like, listen, this life isn't for you anymore. Then he has a way of hitting me in the back of the head. Did you believe in God throughout your use? No way. If you would have told me that God was the answer to all of my problems, I was telling, because I was, listen, I was good with the first mm -hmm. step and the 12th step. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was good with all that. I was good with telling you that I think I have a problem, right? And then telling you how to fix yours. And then yours. telling you how to fix yours, yeah. you know, and usually looking for the weakest girl in the room, mm -hmm. you know, to tell her how to fix her problem. Yeah. You know? Show her the ropes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But really like when I got locked up the last time, because I stopped going to institutions, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I wasn't voluntarily going to institutions anymore. I just wasn't doing it. You know, then I had started getting arrested and had started going in and out of jail and start on the probation, mm -hmm. you know, and all that was just, you know, cyclical for me. I was stuck inside of that cycle. Mm -hmm. I, I would go back to my judge and be like, can I get on drug offender probation? And he would be like, you don't know how to do probation. Mm -hmm. You don't pay, you don't go, you don't report. I'm like the gingerbread man on probation. Like you, they, you literally mm -hmm. have to come catch me, you know? Uh -huh. And that's what it was. But the last time I got locked up and I, I can remember, like, I was living at my sister's house at the time, mm -hmm. smoking blues in the bathroom, drinking myself to sleep every night with her kids in the house. With the, and she's, she's in recovery, you know what I mean? It's just like the, a microcosm of how I don't care about what anything else is going on, mm -hmm. right? It's all about me and the getting and using more. Self-centeredness. You know? Self-centeredness, the root of all mm -hmm. of our troubles, right? So I can remember I got a letter from her while I was locked up saying, you can't come back to my house. This is what I have to do for me and my family, right? And the first thought in my mind wasn't, yeah, she really needs to take care of herself. The first thought in my mind was, how dare she? She mm -hmm. knows that I'm in this situation where I'm not taking anybody else's yeah. feelings into consideration. Yeah, they turn their backs on. Yeah, yeah. How could you do that? Look at the place that I'm at, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one day. The next day I got sentenced to a year. And that very next day I was in my cell and I said the word, okay. I didn't know what it meant at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know where it was from. I didn't know what it meant, but it was like a little piece of me dying, mm -hmm. right? A good piece that needed to die, yeah. right? It was like a diseased piece of me that was falling off, right? Mm -hmm. And just saying that word okay was me saying, I don't know how to live my life. Something, somewhere, somebody take over for me, mm -hmm. right? And literally after that, like mini third step, you know, stuff started to change. Like my attitude, attitude and outlook mm -hmm. started to change. Everything has always remained the same which is why I hate talking about changing people, places, and things, because I think it's the biggest lie that we're told in recovery. I can't change any person. I can't change any place. I can't change anything. Mm -hmm. But when I change my perception, they all changed by themselves. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The people I was attracted to, I was no longer attracted yeah. to. The places I wanted to hang out in, I no longer wanted to hang out in Shanks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I no longer wanted to hang out there. The places that I wanted to go to, I no longer wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. You know, all of my wants and needs had changed. Yeah, there's this book that I've read about, you know, how people change their habits. A lot of times people are like, well, I want to change this outward thing. So instead of saying like, oh, I don't want to eat pizza, I'm not eating pizza anymore. Yeah. 
they focus on like your brain can't do like a no. Right. Your brain doesn't think in negative terms. Right. So instead of saying, I'm not going to eat pizza anymore, you have to say like, well, okay, what are you going to do instead? Right. Well, I'm going to eat, you know, more salads. Right. And then that will change your desire for what you kind of want in right. life. And it, it's like the it's, same thing in the program. Especially for people like us, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be told. I don't want to be told no. what I can't do. Yeah. Don't tell me no, because I'm going to show you a yes. And then you know what you do? As soon as someone says you can have it, you go and have it. Yep. But when you start to have that positive reinforcement, when you hang out with people in recovery, I don't want to hang out with people that are doing drugs. Right. Instead of saying, my parents be like, don't hang out with your druggy friends. Right. Well, I don't have anyone else to hang out with. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, instead of saying, don't hang out with your, your fucked up friends, which right. you feel like you're turning your back on them, right. you know? Well, why don't you just hang out with people in recovery? Right. Why don't you go hang out with them? And then you kind of want to. Right. And you like to. And it feels good. And I, th- I thought I was resigned to a life that was boring and dull, like the literature yeah. says, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because- Like we're I, selling books at the airport. I look back and think, what was fun? It's the innate ability of my disease to make things that are totally disgusting mm-hmm. and deplorable and twist them around to think that they're fun mm-hmm. or I'm missing out on something or there's something out there that I need that's not inside these rooms or whatever mm-hmm. this is, right? Because I would look up how, you know, 12-step fellowships, I would look up percentages of people that were actually high. Wow. I would try to do this, you know, to discredit whatever that was. And it's really like, for me, it's been about, and recovery has been about the journey of Mm self-worth. You know, when I know my self-worth, I don't need anything else to dictate that Mm -hmm. self-worth, right? Like I'm holding the door. One of the biggest things that I keep with me all the time is like, am I holding the door because it's the right thing to do? Or am I holding the door because I need you to say thank you? And that's a microcosm of my life as a man and person of integrity. And it's like, no one knows but you, because they look exactly the same. And you know what? You'll meet people in the program that are doing the same thing that other people are doing yep. and you don't know their intention yep. you don't know like you know how low their self-esteem is yep. or why they're doing certain things anybody can be an all-star in a one-hour meeting yeah right anybody can be an all-star mm-hmm. right for me it's like the rest 23 like mm-hmm. what am i doing for the rest 23 hours of the day when no you one's know? around when no one's around when no one's looking right mm-hmm. i could say all this good stuff here on this podcast go home and beat my wife mm-hmm. or be a terrible father or not be there or not love them or not nurture them and give them the stuff that they need like that is living a life beyond my wildest dreams that's mm-hmm. the living life on life's terms it's not like inside the meetings mm-hmm. for me yeah. you know like meeting makers make it to meetings bro that's where they make it to that's you know it, yeah. if i don't learn anything and then apply that stuff in my life mm-hmm. nothing changes for me And that's like the life that I lived, Mm -hmm. you know, again, like being in my first treatment center at 14, I should have thought, you know what, something's not right. Mm -hmm. You know, something's not right inside of me. Normal people don't come to treatment centers. They just don't, you know, my parents never went to a treatment center, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) I thought everybody did that. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought everybody, instead of just smoking weed, put a little cocaine on top of the weed. You know what I mean? Like, no, not everybody does that. Yeah. People don't complete probation ever. Yeah. I mean, like (laughs) this is, it's a trap. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Probation is a trap. And whatever you want to say about that, that it is or not, there's people that do it. Yeah. There's people that complete probation. Yeah, when you're clean. I have plenty of friends who just did it. (laughs) I know. I just didn't do it. You know, my mom always said that I never thought you would get clean and sober because you would never humble yourself. And there's there's so much truth to that because Mm -hmm. I still thought I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I always had like a proverbial shovel in my back pocket to dig that bottom deeper. Mm-hmm. Like homelessness, eh, whatever. That's not that big of a deal. Or like the flip side to it, I'm sleeping on my sister's couch and thinking, have the notion that I'm not homeless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's always a, a, a silver lining to, yeah. to my addiction. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, there's times where we, uh, we do like a pre-assessment on a client and we'll be like, um, you have any housing problems? They're like, no. <laughs> like, where do you live? They're like, oh, well, I you know, live at this person's house yeah. or whatever. When's the last time you had an address? I've never had an address before. Right. When's the last time you rented a place? I've never rented a place. Right. So you have housing problems. Right. <laughs> Let's go back to the housing problems yeah. part. And but th- a lot of times you don't you don't really think of yourself mm. as that. You know, like mm. it took me a long time to even think that I was like addicted, that I was like really smoking crack. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I mean, of course, like, uh, yeah, I smoke crack, but I'm not like a crackhead. Right. I'm not smoking it every single day. Right. 
I just like binge on the weekends every right. once in a while, you know? And like to thy known self be true stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, once I actually said that outwardly to somebody, like I am a crackhead, yeah. like I am a puddle shooting junkie, right? Like I will steal your wallet and help you look for it. That is mm-hmm. the person who I am, right? Like it's not a knock on me as a person. That's who chemically I am. Like once I started really getting into this stuff and getting into mm-hmm. recovery and knowing that the only way out was to be completely honest and not honest with you, not honest with my sponsor, mm-hmm. not honest with my wife, but when I look in that mirror and I'm doing that self-honesty mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like where I can be in life, where I cannot be in life, mm-hmm. you know? I knew that there were certain things that I had to do in early recovery and it was like, I didn't have a job. You know, like mm-hmm. when I got out of jail, the last time when I got out of jail and like when I said that little okay in my cell, you know, I got on a work unit and we were like never inside the jail. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we got to go out, we were smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like all this good stuff started to happen. So when I got out of jail and I went to the, I went to halfway and I remember somebody telling me that the first day out of any setting, whether it's treatment, whether it's jail, whether it's prison, whether go it's hospital, go to your meeting, like the first second Mm -hmm. that you get out. So I literally dropped my stuff in the halfway house and went to a meeting. And literally from that first meeting- So you, because I always find it interesting, like you knew that the 12 step program worked. Oh yeah. So you like knew the whole time that the 12 step program worked. I had seen it in you. I had seen it in Carl. I had seen it in Andre. I had seen it in Stevie B. I had seen it in all these people. I saw it in my sister. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I saw that it worked for them. There was just some, and again, like the self-worth thing. I didn't think I was worth it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not that it couldn't work for me. It was just that I didn't see any worth in me. And once I had that glimmer of hope and that glimmer of worth and that glimmer of when your parents start talking to you again, when Mm -hmm. my mom's putting money on my books every week, she's coming to see me every week to where people still care. There is some hope for you. And like you asked me about God, Mm -hmm. it's the one thing that I had such difficulty with in the beginning. I didn't know how this thing was going to help me not use anymore. <laughs> yeah, because with any other disease, they're never like, well, you have cancer. I'd really suggest you get in a relationship with God. I don't know, with the with the 12-step program, to me, I never really saw it that way. Mm. I saw it as like, you know, someone saying like, you know, with boxing, you know, you have to have a spiritual fitness. Uh-huh. With running, like any, any like physical thing that you're going to do, yep. it's really not how strong and tough you are physically. No. You got to have some mental toughness. There's a war. And spiritual toughness. You there know? is a war going on every day when I wake up, mm-hmm. still to this day. Every day I wake up with untreated alcoholism. So I get to choose every day that I wake up what's going to win. It's like when a mountain range is formed, right? Two tectonic plates mm-hmm. are violently moving over one another and one of them wins, right? One of them wins and forms a mountain range. So that's like my old life and my new life. Because yeah. my thought processes are always going to be addictive and alcoholic in nature. The Mm -hmm. first thought process is always going to be, where can you lie? Where can you manipulate? Mm -hmm. Where can you scheme? Still to this day, fortunately, I've put a bunch of tools in the toolbox and coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. to deal with that. So every day I have a battle about if my spiritual fitness is going to win or not. All this stuff, like I never gave it a chance in the program. I, I, Mm -hmm. the only thing I wanted to hear, we're talking about speaker tapes, right? The only thing that I wanted to hear in speakers was war stories because it's the only thing I could relate to. Mm-hmm. I couldn't relate to the spirituality part. I couldn't relate to the God stuff. I didn't know, how, again. Oh, when a woman would share, but oh, great. Here yeah. we go. Talking about, you know, meditation <laughs> right. and love right. and whatever. Right, right. Get out of here. I don't want to hear none of that, right? I don't think God loves me. I don't have any love. I used to talk different and act different and sound different. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was a little rougher around the edges. It's funny that you talk to that, coming to that facility. I remember that day. I get goosebumps mm-hmm. thinking about that day. I remember you coming in. I remember Carl coming in. And mm-hmm. I can remember you guys sharing the message. And I can remember like when it talks about in the literature that our alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I can just remember coming up to you like, hey, yeah. you know, like not embarrassed yeah. at all, yeah. right? Not groveling, not coming to you and being like, mm-hmm. I need you to tell me how you did this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just wanting to say hi, like I knew you yeah. type of deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To make myself feel important or whatever, you mm-hmm. know? But some little piece of me, when you left there, I was like, man, these dudes are doing it. 
Yeah, and you know what? Like, I, I still go to that facility. I was just yeah. there on, on uh, last week on, or this week on Monday. There's like so many people who were like, man, we just thought like eventually you would just get high, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's people that tell me that. Yeah. You know, I've had multiple people be like, you know, I remember when I first met you, I was like, you know, this kid's young and yep. he's really positive, but like, how long is he really going to do this yep. shit for, you know? Yep. And sometimes I'm like, what do I say to that? Like, you've been right. expecting me to get high this whole time? Right. Smiling in my face? Right. So it's like, for me, it's like, you know, consistency wins. Every time. Every time. And, 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 like, and in every aspect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Consistency in every single aspect. For sure. So if I, and that's a big deal for me about in being. business, friendships, whatever, you ev- know. Everything. And I'm a father. I'm a father, a stepfather, and a husband. So these three things I take very seriously mm-hmm. in my life. If any of those things falters, those people notice, man. Yeah. My kids notice when I am restless, irritable, discontent. My wife notices. And it usually has nothing to do with them, but it's usually taken out on mm-hmm. them because they're the closest people there. Yeah. You know? And, and oftentimes we treat our people we love the most or know us the most the worst mm. because we just we can. That was the thing that I wanted to change the most. Mm-hmm. Right. As soon as I got a foothold in this recovery thing, I wanted to live a life of integrity. I wanted to stop talking shit because I was so it. good at that, man. Mm-hmm. I looked my mom directly in her face when I was using and said, why do you care? I'm just doing this to myself. The train of selfish thinking, you know what I mean? How I can look at the person who birthed me, who raised me and say, why do you care that I'm killing myself? Yeah, you know just what I mean? leave me alone. Just leave me alone. What's I wanna, wrong with you people? I'm good. I'm fine. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, just leave me alone. And they'd be like, you're not fine. Yeah. Look at your eyes in the mirror. Like, nothing is fine. Mm-hmm. But I was okay with each bottom, right? Like, I mm-hmm. had this weird semblance of being okay yeah. with each and every bottom. Oh, my lights were off for two months? That's totally fine with me. I don't care. I had a license that was revoked for years and years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I went, I did the right turn shuffle. I was right turning everywhere really? to get home. I had no license. My tags were expired two years. I never had insurance, never had any mm-hmm. of this stuff. Like, I bring a meeting into a treatment center, and I'm always like... I don't know how you guys even had the wherewithal to get insurance to come to a place like that. Like, I don't know how that happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a sophisticated it's, thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the simple phone call of inquiring about the insurance. Yeah. Like, that is not my life. In active addiction, that is not my life at all. I, am, I don't care about that. There yeah. is no thinking about that. The only reason I have a job is that I can steal from that job. I mean, that was like literally, the, I would get mm-hmm. these stupid like bar jobs or these stupid restaurant jobs. Mm-hmm. Because I could steal from them. Going back to when I first, you know, went to my first meeting when I got out of jail, and we're talking about the God thing, and I, I can't stress the importance of God's importance in my life enough, man. I mm-hmm. really can't. And it changed for me like slowly over time because we all have, you know, in my experience, we all have this connotation of this higher power, mm-hmm. right? That is from our old life. Number one reason that pushes the people away from God is calamity. Bad shit happens. I blame God for it. It's my own doing. Doing step work proves it to me that this is all my own doing, you know? And it, again, it forces me to look in the mirror. It forces me to say, you know what? It's not that person's problem that I chose to stay in a toxic relationship. Even though that person's no good, even though that person wasn't necessarily for me, I saw the signs of toxicity and chose to stay in that. And volunteered and signed up and signed on the dotted line. Let's go sign my life away for that. Simply because you needed me, you were close to me, or something about you made Mm -hmm. me feel a certain way. Or I think you're so fucked up that I get a lot of value from telling you how much better I am than you and Mm -hmm. fixing you and caring for you. I, I mean, my my ex-wife was my running partner. We did the running together. So I needed her, right? Things that were like not necessarily character defects, things that were totally glaring character defects inside mm-hmm. for me, helped me live on the street. For me, helped me get and use more. For mm-hmm. me, helped me get exactly what I needed. Because the whole mission for an opiate addict like me is just to stay well, is to yeah. not be sick. Mm-hmm. I, my whole life was driven on not being sick. You know, mm-hmm. oh my God, I have to go to work today. To not even work. high. Never. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I got, maybe the first time. And once I found that the first time, I mean, because we were in South Florida during the pill mill stuff. So like we were in the epicenter of it, Mm -hmm. you know. And the first time I did it, I can remember 
itching my nose off and remember in the next morning being like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is it. This is the feeling that I want. And I chased that for 15 yeah. years through everything, through getting fired, through getting arrested, through getting this. It was paramount importance mm -hmm. in my life. Going back to the God thing, like it, it had to be God for me when I started to get into 12-step fellowships because it told me that God was everything. It told me that I suffered from a spiritual malady. Not that I didn't have spirituality, not that my spirituality was lacking. It said the word malady, right? Mm -hmm. So I looked that up and it's like a sickness. It's a devoid. It's a mm -hmm. black hole of spirituality. And like my first year, man, I don't know if you can relate, but the first year is like a whirlwind. It's mm -hmm. the, you're going to meetings all the time. You're like living in halfway. You yeah, got your got, emotions are, you're crying yeah. on like a Publix commercial. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're getting into a fist fight. Yeah. Like, yeah in the same hour. <laughs> You know what I mean? Hour, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't play that Sarah McLaughlin yeah. oh. ASPCA commercial because I will straight turn it off, you know? But yeah, everything's like such a whirlwind. And you're yeah. hearing stuff, but you're not really like, you know, you're just kind of holding on. And then You don't know who's safe. Yep. You don't know who's like, you know, in the program, who is someone who's like actually a good person. Yep. It kind of all blends in together. Yep. And not to say that there's like such horrible people in the program, but there are people in the program that aren't necessarily people I would align with mm. and not really doing the right thing mm. or whatever. But when you're new, you don't really know. You're like, oh, this guy speaks all the time or you see them all over the place and, yep. and they're so nice or whatever. It's so hard to deal with someone upsetting an expectation mm. when you first get clean mm. and, you know, your family not believing that you're clean <laughs> and, you know, you're living with your parents or you're living in a halfway house yep. and people are stealing your food yep. or you're getting bed bugs, yep. you know, and it's just like... When my first year clean, I was like, I'm clean, but it doesn't look like I'm clean. Mm. <laughs> you know, like I'm still putting $5 in a gas tank. Yep. I'm still like pissing in a cup, yep. still depressed, yep. still have no friends. And I'm like, when's it going to work? Yeah. And really like being incarcerated for a long period of time mm -hmm. changed my thinking. So it's I, like, I got to piss in a cup. For me, it was like, I got wow. to piss in a cup. Yeah, I cool. got to sleep on the couch. I got to take a bus. Mm -hmm. I got to go to meetings. I was not in handcuffs every single day. Mm -hmm. I was. I did not hear a door slamming behind me. So when everybody else, like for me, and this is just, you know, my experience. You got grateful. I got grateful, man. I got hit with a grateful stick as soon mm -hmm. as I got out. And I was like, wow, the sky is so blue right now. Mm -hmm. The grass is so green. And it wasn't green on the other side. It was green underneath my feet. And that's when I started to realize maybe something is out there saying that your experience is not mm -hmm. over with. I always say God has a crazy way of turning my mess into my message, mm -hmm. right? And it's evident doing stuff like this. Like 15 years ago, I never would have thought I would be doing stuff like yeah. this. 15 years ago, I never thought I would have been carrying a message or people calling me every mm -hmm. day from treatment centers, people calling me to say, hey, what's your experience in this? Mm -hmm. Like, I never wanted to do that because I was so selfish. Like life and recovery forces me to be selfless. Mm -hmm. And I continue to do it, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm like, man, I got eight years. I don't want to yeah. be going to that. I'm tired. I don't want to be going to that meeting yeah. tonight. And God has a way of pushing me toward that meeting. Mm -hmm. right? I, I'm up early every single day. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a four or five o'clock in the morning guy because I usually have to be to work at that. And I work underground and it's hot and everything mm -hmm. in my diseased mind was like, you are hot and tired. You mm -hmm. do not have to go to that meeting tonight. The way that the treatment center game has changed. Mm -hmm. Like eight years ago when I used to do this meeting, they yeah. were like, everybody down here right now, we're having a meeting. Now they're like, if you want to go. If it doesn't affect your sensibilities, <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't have to come yeah. down here. But I came on Thursday night and there was like 30 people there, man. Mm -hmm. It felt like the old times. God has a funny way of That's doing Cool. that like when yeah. i don't want to do something yeah. he shows me that it's the right thing to yeah do, so you know? i always tell people like too that i think the key to staying clean is having a commitment mm. and doing things that you don't want to do mm. in the moment so when you commit to something you sign on the dotted line i'm going to do this every third thursday mm -hmm. not i'm going to do this when i feel like it right i'm not going to do this when it's not raining it's <laughs> hey every thursday yep. i'm coming to do this yep. when thursday comes and i don't want to go I committed to going. Yep. So I get used to doing things that I don't want to do. Yep. And everything in my life that's good has came from doing something I didn't want to do. 100%. Not in a way of like active addiction, like I don't want to use and I'm using. Right. But in a way of like this is inconvenient. It's going to be a pain in the ass. Yep. It's going to be difficult. Yep. And there was times where I had my H&I commitment and I'd be like, dude, I don't want to fucking go yep. here. And sometimes no one would even listen. Yep. 
Yep. I would just feel like I'm wasting my time. Yep. And I'll never forget. I think I had like 18 months clean. And I think after a year clean, I started to question if I wanted to go to meetings. Mm. I was like, should I still go? Like, you know, I don't know. And I'll <laughs> never forget, man. I remember I was at this at the 10 o'clock and mm. I was pulled up late and I pulled in with my head down. And I'll never forget this car of kids pulled in and they hopped out the car and they were like, yo, you're the guy from IRT. And I was like, what's up? They're like, bro, you told us this was your home group. You killed it wow. when you came in and brought those meetings, man. Wow. We used to tell everyone about you. Like, like we were hoping to see you tonight mm -hmm. and we saw you tonight. Mm -hmm. Now I have to be like of course. that guy. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's going on? And I'm, I'm so happy to be yeah, here. So happy to be here. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, God saying mm. like, dude, just keep doing what I'm telling you to do. This is your yeah. area. This is your area of ministry. And it feels like purpose. Purpose. It's your area of My ministry. My whole life, I never had purpose. <laughs> mm. I just did things because I fucking wanted to do them yep. and I was going to get something out of it. But it allowed me to live a life that was not about what I could get out of it, mm. more what I could put into mm. it. You and know? it never works when I go into a situation thinking what I can get out of it. Yeah. It never works. Yeah. It never when I works. go to a job, I'm never like, what are you going to do for me? I'm always like, this is what I can do. Right. This is what I can bring. This right. is what I bring to the table. Right. And the whole the whole purpose of that conversation changes when I use language yeah. like that. When I stop thinking what I can take, 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 take. Mm -hmm. My whole life was take, 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 yeah. you know? And now the whole life in recovery, it just flips itself on its head. It's what mm -hmm. can I give to the situation? What can I add to the stream of consciousness? Mm -hmm. That's what it says. Well, that's the only thing I can control anyways. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, you know, I can't really control other way. I hope that if I prove my value that you guys are going to pay me what I think I'm worth. But yep. at the same time, I need to communicate that I was on the phone with my sponsee the other day and he was like, dude, my, my job is really taking advantage of me. I was mm. like, what's going on? He's like, well, I said if they paid me more money to do two jobs, mm. like they don't have to pay somebody else. And I was like, okay, cool. What do they pay you? And he told me what they pay him. And I was like, well, when you got your paycheck, was it a surprise? And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, or did you agree to that? Mm. And now it's a year later and now you want more money. Now you're mad. I was like, bro, you agreed to this. Right. Have you spoken to them about this? No. Have you talked to anyone about this? Right. Do they know that you're unhappy? How long have you been unhappy for? <laughs> All yeah. year? Yeah. Were you happy the first day and then you told someone else and someone said, oh, hey, you're getting ripped off? Yep. And then you just never said nothing about yep. it? And then you build a resentment based on somebody else's perception of yeah, the Yeah, because you know? somebody fucking said something right. about, oh, yeah. oh, wow, whatever. Yeah. And then think about that life, like that life, living that life with resentment. It literally is drinking poison and hoping yeah. that person dies from it, you know? And all based on something that you, like you said, something that I already agreed to. Agreed to. Yeah. I have already agreed to this thing. Yeah. And now I'm going to be mad because I said yes to the thing that you said. And it, yeah, because I felt like you manipulated me in the right. moment. And how many things am I missing? How yeah. many things am I missing when I am living in a life of resentment? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? How many blessings am I missing? Mm -hmm. The blessing is that I had a job. And when I was in, in active addiction, I was not employable. Mm -hmm. Nothing yeah. about me said employable. Mm -hmm. None of my actions, none of my thinking, none of my behavior said I was employable. So that's why I would always blame people when I got fired for stealing from the register. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like wondering why I couldn't keep a job. Yeah. Wondering why I couldn't keep a relationship. Had nothing to do with the other people. It was everything about me. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you something. Why do you think addicts need God? Like why? I think there's a couple things. It's a couple fold question, mm -hmm. right? I think the number one reason is to show that I'm not God. Yeah. Because I lived a life of thinking that I was God. God. Every opiate addict wakes up in the morning and says, I got to make shit happen today. Not just that. It's like every day in the paper, these people are dying from a drug that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I really think that's not going to be me. Yeah. I used to have people tell me, and this is when the fentanyl started to yeah. come in. Because thank God I got sober before the fentanyl really me started too. to come in. That they would use and have 9-1 already programmed on their phone. Like, yeah. what kind of life are we living right now? Yeah. What kind of life are we living? So the number one reason for me was to show that I am not God, right? Mm -hmm. The number two reason I think is that I am not in control. To show me that I am not in control and to show me that when I do take control, mm -hmm. how things end up and what my life looks like, right? I always said that my will is like the bluebird bus. The bluebird mm -hmm. bus is the bus that takes you from jail to court and court to jail and back, <laughs> right? So that is what my will is. Every time I act out in self-will, I'm back on the bluebird bus, shackled to some dude I don't know, yeah. with graffiti all on the top of the ceiling, <laughs> always. Mm -hmm. 
The, and the, it's going to one of those places. Oh for my sure. God, for sure. It, and that's <laughs> that's where my using takes me to. Yeah. Again, when I was at the treatment center, because these treatment centers are nice now, man. Yeah. Like it is not when I first tried to get mm-hmm. uh, try to get clean. Like they're nice. They got the pool. I'm always like, man, you guys got this pool over here. You get to wear your own clothes. Yeah. This is a blessing. Like this is such a blessing that I get to hear the language of recovery and be somewhat comfortable at the yeah. same time. Yeah, treatment centers back in the day was like, Hey, you got to cut this grass. And yeah, let's go. Whatever. Let's like go. Boot camp. Here's a chainsaw. Let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was nine months. Mm-hmm. All of them were nine months or yeah. more. And really what like God has morphed into, like the last thing for me is like a best friend. To know that even like I was in the shower before I came here and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm annoyed. Everything's annoying right now. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is crazy right now. And I'm laughing as soon as I get in the shower. I'm like, did you hear me laughing in there? And she's like, no. I said, this is a spiritual attack. Mm -hmm. So what it does for me, what God in my life does for me, is it changes the perception of every event that happens in my life. Mm -hmm. It's no longer, you know, I had to pay 2,500 bucks to get my car out of here. Mm -hmm. It's no longer that I got COVID. It's no longer that I got this. It is that there is something that's welling up inside of what we're doing right now Mm -hmm. that has a spirituality and some message and some semblance of hope to it that something else is trying to steal that mm-hmm. joy. Something else is trying to pull me back. Something else is trying to tell me it's not worth it. For Somebody sure. else is trying to have me here in a state of resentment, like we mm-hmm. were talking about, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, um, when things happen like that, it's like, what is that negative energy mm. that is making me think, fuck, now I got to get my car fixed mm. as opposed to being like, wow, I think I no one died. Or I have the means. Yeah. Or I have the means <laughs> that like, dude, I could just pay it. You know, what I always tell people is like, you know, when you're in traffic, are you mad that there's traffic mm. or are you grateful that you're not in the accident? Mm. And it's like one little switch. Yep. Stop thinking what God is doing to me and really mm. realizing what God is doing for me. Because every treatment center, mm-hmm. every jail stay, every overdose, every homelessness, every thought of putting a gun in my mouth, every yeah. moment of despair was leading me to this moment right here and now, mm-hmm. right? To carry a message to those who still suffer. And I have to carry that with me all the time. Like mm-hmm. what you're talking about, like with the gratitude, like I was beat into a state of submission as far as gratitude mm-hmm. is concerned. It wasn't that I had to ride the bus for the first six months in the halfway house to work. It was like, dude, I think I got drug tested like six times that first week because mm-hmm. they were like, there's no way you're this happy sleeping on the couch riding a bus at 4 a.m. to work every day. And I was just so grateful, dude. Like I was so grateful to not be in bondage anymore. Mm -hmm. I was so grateful to not wake up every morning and want to stick a gun in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Being upset that I woke up that morning. Like I don't know if you can relate to that, but it was like I didn't want to wake up the next morning. I was doing all this stuff to actively not wake up in the morning. I, man, I used to be such a dark person. I used to hope that I overdosed and then my family would find me. Oof. Like, how do you feel now? Mm. Like a part of me was so angry at my family mm. that like I wanted to burden them forever. Like, Shh, like right. haunt them as a ghost. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like, like I was okay with being like, I'm going to ruin the whole family and just right. kill myself. Right. And, and this is the last memory that they have yeah. of me. You know what I like, mean? Like I, I don't want to kill myself far away. I want you guys to see it. Right. Like, that's right. how sick and dark I was. Yeah. And when I think about it, it's like, dude, I was like 17 years old. Right. Like, most kids are, like, trying to, like, get their first kiss at prom or some shit. You where know what I mean? we going to college. Yeah, we're going to college, yeah. thinking about all this stuff. And it's like, man, I thought about suicide so much yeah. that now that I'm an adult, it makes me sad. Yeah. Because I'm like, like, what happened to me that I was so bad at yeah. that at that age, yeah, you know? and, and and it really like it has to be talked about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I have to say that out loud. I wanted to wake up and stick a gun in my mouth every mm-hmm. single day, and realizing that like my sister gave me my one year medallion, like what an experience. You yeah, know what I mean? That's cool. And I, I think she had, I think she had like five years sober at the mm-hmm. time, and she can remember being like, I wished that we all prayed that Evan would just die so that he would stop hurting like that. You know, you're biologically closest to your to your yeah. siblings. When somebody gets up there in front of a room full of men, because I picked up mm-hmm. at my halfway house meeting, you know, mm-hmm. and she's crying and all my brothers are crying. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like what an experience that is to yeah. actually hear something like that and have it affect you. Because you can feel suicidal yeah. all you want. But when somebody else says that, you know what I mean? Like maybe if you died, it'd just be easier on everybody. It was crazy, man. And I'm sure that as a family member, you have your own type of guilt and shame 
for having thoughts like that, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sure my dad must have been like, dude, oh my just God, yeah. fucking get the fuck out of here. Right. You know, right. Watch, watch this overdose and die. Right. And it sounds crazy, but like, you know, we bring that out of, we bring the worst out of everybody yeah. when we're using. And, and, you know, my mom will always say to this day, every time that phone rang, every yeah. time the phone rang, I, I, sometimes I couldn't even answer it. Every time the phone rang, I was sure that they were calling that Evan was dead. You know what I mean? Or every time the phone yeah. rang, I was sure that you were in some kind of trouble. <laughs> like what you were saying, we, we expectations. Going back to the expectations, like it's funny when people talk about expectations because I remember mine. And that word was removed from my vocabulary in early recovery too. Because expectations are things that are based on external sources. Yeah. And I got no control over that, mm-hmm. like you were saying. And they're you know? mostly unspoken about. Hmm. It's not an agreement. Usually. It's right? like, oh, I expected you to do this. Did we talk about this? Did we even say this? Did you say that? So my wife calls, my wife talks about this and she's fantastic mm-hmm. in this. She says, I can't have expectations anymore, but I can have standards for my life, mm-hmm. right? Standards are not expectations, but it's like a laundry list of mm-hmm. things that you have to meet for you to be in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Because every single second that I have is precious, mm-hmm. right? My time is more valuable than anything nowadays. So I can't have those expectations, but I can have those standards. And if you don't meet those standards, and like you said, everything has to be talked about. Like my sponsors will tell me, well, they're, they're telling me that I can't have sex for a year. Well, that's not really the thing. But if I go to somebody in a relationship, like I'm supposedly in a relationship with someone, and I say all my truth, right? Mm -hmm. I clean my side of the street and say, I'm only in this relationship for sex. I don't really want you for anything else. Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, that's different. But if I don't say that, Mm -hmm. right? If I don't say my expectation, not my expectations, Mm -hmm. my standards for the relationship, and usually it's not. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's not talked about and, and at the same time i wish we were robots but like you know people used to say like two people lay down one gets up with feelings yeah <laughs> i had like a year clean this girl was all mad at me because she thought we we're gonna start dating or something and i call my sponsor and be like yo this bitch is crazy da, 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 da. i told her i didn't want a relationship and he was like you think she heard that right did you think she heard that because my actions and here's the thing i knew she didn't hear it mm. i just was on my high horse like mm. well i said i didn't want nothing right but i knew from like the googly eyes and yep. like, you know, all the text message. I yep. knew she wanted a relationship. Yep. And here I was thinking that my side of the street was clean because yep. I clearly said I didn't. And the reality is, is that there are some things that go beyond what we say. Yep. And we just have to say, you know what, even though she's saying this, I know she doesn't mean it. Yep. Just as if a guy was saying, yo, baby, I want to be your fucking man. Right. And you just know that he's just trying to sleep with you. Right. Even though he's saying the right thing, sometimes you have to go beyond what people are saying and go with like what you really know of to course. be true and your gut instinct and make a decision based off that. And, and that's where like my discernment comes into play too. Who am I seeking counsel in has become like such an important part of my life right mm-hmm. now. Like you were saying, I don't hang around with any people out there anymore. Mm-hmm. I just don't. All my and counsel. And like the energy. This is where people outside of recovery cannot relate to us in. Mm-hmm. Like when I start talking about that I'm on a different wavelength, when mm-hmm. I'm on a different spiritual plane yeah. than other people, mm-hmm. like where we can feel that, right? Mm-hmm. I can walk into a room immediately and because of the spiritual yeah. plane that I live on, know if I'm supposed to be in that room or know if I'm not supposed to be in that room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Instantly I can tell if this person's going to be in my life or this person's not going to be in my life. Mm-hmm. Our bullshit reader is like the Crazy. best. Yeah. It's the best. Mm-hmm. That's where my discernment, you know, my my area of counsel, all these people have to be on the same wavelength mm-hmm. that I'm at. It's not like a I'm better than you type of thing. Yeah. It's just I'm different than mm-hmm. you type of thing, you know? And I have to be careful who I talk to about stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, about anything. What do you think changed for you to say that I'm not just going to like, because everyone has an experience where they get out of jail or they get <laughs> clean and they feel grateful for yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah. Why did you get clean and it lasted more than a couple of mm. weeks or months? Mm. This time. Like, what was it that kept pulling you to like a deeper commitment to not just be like, I'm grateful not to be in jail because being grateful not to be in jail only lasts. It does. Until fucking. It does. It was really like. Again, me going back to taking my hands off the wheel. I saw proof in what they were talking about. I saw proof. You let someone else drive. Yeah. Yeah. 
I let him drive. It wasn't anybody else dictating things in my life. And for the first time in my life, I sought counsel in not just one person, but mm. many people, right? Like I always talk about it like a board meeting, right? Like when you're in a board meeting, right? There's shareholders and there's the president and then mm -hmm. there's the CEO and then there's the owner, right? Like God is that CEO. Mm -hmm. So I would have some people, you know, who I knew exactly what they were gonna tell me so I get yeah. the answer out of that. But now, like, I had to seek to counsel. Yeah, you gotta got to clear it with everybody. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So that was like, and really the gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, really the gratitude is if you show me a grateful addict or alcoholic, you'll show me a sober addict mm -hmm. or alcoholic. You know what I mean? And that was really what it had to be. Because if I am grateful, and that's what I was, man. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just had to remain, okay. And I saw that, I saw the correlation between me being grateful and this thing working. Like, I was grateful that I got to do all this because I can bitch and complain and moan. And your mood. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that when I wake up, what do I want to win? That old life, that old way of thinking or that new life and that new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, you know, literature says that we can go anywhere, do anything, be with anyone based upon my level of spiritual fitness. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the correlation, like if I am, you know, the grass isn't green enough and the sky isn't blue enough. It's, when's the last time I talked to God? When's the last time I prayed? Mm -hmm. When's the last time I helped somebody? When's the last time I answered the phone for a sponsee? Because they're annoying sometimes. They're yeah. annoying sometimes. Yeah. You know what oh. I mean? And they drag you down and make you feel guilty. Yeah. And, you know. And yeah. an important word that I've learned in recovery is no, too. No, I don't have the time, man. I can't. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or no, I can't do, I can't do this today necessarily instead of just feeling feeling, like, feeling guilty yeah. and oh you know if you don't do this then then whatever i've been asking you for three days yep. oh it took you nine months to do as a piece of step work right. and uh now <laughs> if i don't do it in three days i'm a bad sponsor right you know as i've gotten older i've gotten really well with like you're not gonna give me anxiety yes like you're not gonna get all anxious and then make me get anxious yep. and trick me that this is a 911 yep. yep i will schedule it right and, and not, we will do it. And not only schedule yeah. it, if it's that important, a sponsor's job is not to be the only person yeah, in a sponsor's exactly. life. Yeah. Too many times we take this on ourselves. Mm -hmm. I need to be responsible for everything. In early it's recovery, it's codependent step work, yeah. right? It's codependent recovery. Uh, I can't be your everything, yeah. dude. Good. Did you talk to somebody else about mm -hmm. it? I had a sponsor, a sponsor who was telling me like, I can't believe one of my sponsees dropped me. Like, this kid doesn't know anything. He's a fucking idiot. And like, what? Like, and I was like, dude, if you're getting mad that people are dropping you as a sponsor, you shouldn't be sponsoring them because you're thing. too emotional, mm -hmm. emotionally invested. And you're not trying to guide them. You're trying to control them. Mm -hmm. I'm like a freaking, like, I'm putting cat food out outside for a stray cat. Mm -hmm. I don't fucking go look for them. I like, put the food outside yep. and I close the door. That's it. And that's my only job. That's it. My only job is to fucking make sure there's a little bit of food out there. And if the first dope man didn't pick up the phone, I was I not stopping. Else. I was yeah. calling somebody else. Of course. Or I was doing having a, a, a grappling hook mm -hmm. tied to his front porch and yeah. going up the side of the house. You know what <laughs> I, I mean? Always, I used to share this story. I was like, you know, when I was using, I was with somebody and they used, but they didn't use the way that I used. <laughs> and I remember, you know, we bought like Roxy's and I had like four. Mm -hmm. Not know exactly what four looks like, yep. like, you know, like, like the dollar bill, right? Like in the bottom of cellophane. Mm -hmm. I dropped one in the car. I wasn't anxious and I wasn't mad. I knew I was going to get it. I did my pills and then I was like, okay, like, let's go to Walmart. And he's like, for what? And I was like, we're getting this pill. And he's like, but I got to go to work. No, dude, we're getting this pill. And he's like, well, I can't find it. You can't find it, whatever. I was like, we're taking the seats out of the car. <laughs> Like there, right? And this is this is just. Yeah. It's not like it's a crazy thought. Yeah. It's like what has to be done at yeah. the time. Yeah. Like, dude, you're taking me to Walmart. I'm gonna steal a wrench. Yeah. Then we're gonna go to your job. You're gonna leave it unlocked, and I will take the seat out. I don't and even I'll, need you. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I will figure out who's gonna take you home. <laughs> I'll do. I'll figure it out. Forget that part. And guess what? I found it. You know what I mean? So it was After like. I ripped out the yeah, seats. I wasn't yeah. mad. I wasn't blaming him. Right. I was just like, oh, I dropped it. Right. I don't even want to try to move the seat because right. you could crush it. So you have to, it could be in the carpet. Like I can't find it. Like, like it's okay. We're yeah. just going to take the seats yeah. down. Yeah. I'll I mean, do it with a smile on my yeah, face. Yeah, let's go. And then he was like, oh, just we'll do it tomorrow. I was like. No, 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 no. No. I don't think you understand. I kill a fly with a hammer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not leaving anything to chance. Right. And when I got clean, it was the same mentality. If I have like a 10% chance of relapse and doing something, like I didn't want to take the risk. It was like, dude, I'm doing everything I can 100% to yep. stay clean. Yep. I feel good doing like four meetings a week. I'll go to six. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And if, if it's if I want fifty percent recovery, I'll do fifty percent of the work. Yeah. If I want one hundred percent of the recovery, I have to do one hundred percent of the work. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's again not always saying yes to everybody, but doing all the stuff like you said. Am I uncomfortable doing this? Mm-hmm. Because I'm comfortable in the chaos. Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, let, give me some chaos, and I'll sit there and do my time standing on my head. Mm-hmm. But does this make me uncomfortable? Is there something that's warring with my spirit on this? And that was really an early recovery because they talk about the promises. You know that this stuff just happens, right? Mm-hmm. That it's just, you know, I've been placed in a position of neutrality, right? I am <laughs> yeah. no longer fighting this. It's no longer, mm-hmm. it's just a part of my every waking moment, you know, to mm-hmm. be this person of integrity, to be this person who lives a life of recovery. <laughs> Being mad that it made me laugh when you're talking about like, my parents didn't give me the garage code in early recovery. My parents uh-huh. didn't leave the their purse, yeah. right? And even that stuff, the last time, because I was never invited to like family dinners, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering like, why can't I come to family events? When I, the first time I was invited back to a family event, it was Thanksgiving because I got out of jail mm-hmm. uh, October 14th and I was invited to Thanksgiving. My mom turns around and she's like, you know what, Ev? Uh, it's really nice that you're at a family event not asking for money or nodding out in your food, right? <laughs> and to normal people, they'd be like, all right, well, that's weird, whatever. Like to me, I'll always remember her yeah. look, the way she said it, what she was wearing at the yeah. time, because it was such an important thing for me, mm-hmm. right? And that's the way that God built that gratitude too, yeah. right? Because the gratitude is not like, it takes all this nasty, disgusting, mm-hmm. crazy stuff to really be grateful for the small stuff. And a lot of times in recovery, we have so much tangible proof mm all around us with like other people that we know mm-hmm. i've never forget this guy steve he had three years clean bro he shared so much good positive stuff he had like a he was just like fun and mm-hmm. he was just one of those guys in the rooms that you just looked up to mm-hmm. and i remember i was complaining about my relationship with my family and i remember he was smoking a cigarette and he was like dude i've been clean three years my mom still won't talk to me and he mm. threw a cigarette and i remember thinking like Dude, you're the most positive guy here. You help everybody. You've been clean three years. Your mom still won't talk to mm-hmm. you? Like, I couldn't imagine someone not liking this guy. Right. Let alone refusing to talk to him. Right. Let alone your mom won't even talk to you. Right. It was a lot for me to be like, wow, like, mm. who I see today is not who they've seen for 20 probably years. Well, you that's know what, what I mean? it is, too. That's mm-hmm. why it's, it's it, you know, when I bring the meeting into a treatment center, it's funny to see the perception of people in treatment, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I have 30 days sober. You mm-hmm. don't see this in me? Mm-hmm. No, what I see is the 30 years of you stealing from yeah. me. What I see is the 30 years of you lying to me. What I see yeah. is the 30 years of your old addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't care about I've seen you do the 30 days before. Yeah, yeah this you, guy says, uh, you know, if you walk 100 miles in the woods, it's going to take 100 miles to walk out. That's right. And it's the same thing in our families. I, yeah, I just think that because I have, and that's, again, the, the selfish nature of me, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing this thing, so you should applaud me for this thing. Instead of I'm doing this thing because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. I always talk about what does the most successful version of me look like? And every action and reaction and decision that I make has to be aligned with what is the most successful version of me look like? Mm-hmm. And it looks like me being a man of integrity and just doing the right thing when no one's watching mm-hmm. and holding the door because it's the right thing to do and not expecting somebody to say thank you, you know? That for me took a long time. Even like with the automatic doors, you know, like in Publix, I would want you to say thank you for me to walk in first, you know what I mean? Or or I'd go on the the megaphone in the middle, like a guy on aisle one did not say thank you. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, sometimes I hold the door open for someone, I can't believe they didn't say thank you. Mm -hmm. Like, it like blows my fucking mind. Mm -hmm. I didn't just hold the door because I work here, you know? And then at the end of the day, it's like... That's why that is such a relatable thing to people yeah, like yeah, us. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's absolutely. it's <laughs> when I heard that I'm like I yeah. got to stop doing that nonsense. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in that person's life. Yeah, man. no clue. I have no clue and me thinking that Mm-hmm. That person is something that I didn't like. That yeah. person's an asshole because he didn't hold the door because mm-hmm. uh, he didn't say thank you. Anything could be going on in that person's life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know what uh, was interesting is I remember I was at a meeting and this guy who you know I like a lot. He's been cleaning a long time. Was on his phone the whole time. Mm. I was just looking at him and I'm like, whatever, you're on your phone. And then he raised his hand and I was like, no, dude, you don't get to share if you've been like on your phone the whole time. Mm. Raised his hand. Then before he spoke waited because he was still on his phone looking Mm. at something so i was like okay you're gonna be on your phone the whole time at the meeting then you're gonna make us wait because you're not done sending your last text message Mm. 
And he scrolled and he goes, I just want to talk about page 52 in the literature here where it says, I was like, this guy's not on his phone. He's reading the <laughs> reading fucking the big book. book. Yeah, yep. the book on his fucking phone. Yep. And I remember I was like, God, I'm such a fucking idiot. Yeah. And then I started to realize, bro, I don't know if he has a sick child at mm. home. I don't know what the fuck this person is mm. doing. We're drug addicts, bro. We used to fucking shoot heroin and yep. smoke crack. Now we're fucking judging each other if we're on our phone at right. the fucking meeting. In the meeting. Yeah, who cares? You know? Who gives the, a fuck? The, <laughs> the willingness is me walking into that meeting. Yeah. It's not paying attention in the meeting. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily not being on my phone. Yeah. The baseline willingness is me doing something that I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Is me walking into that meeting and being vulnerable. Yeah. And, and what does it do for me to take everyone's inventory why, at the why fucking meeting? Why am I not listening? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's taken me yeah. out of my solution yeah. of what I deem is correct Mm -hmm. right and who am i again right like who am i like nine years ago i couldn't stop smoking crack with the upstairs neighbor who am i to tell you you can't be (laughs) on your right and like i don't know i don't know like that story could have ended with i just got a text message that my mother died what am i doing i have no idea right yeah the other day i remember i was running i remember when i got to my car someone ate a whole thing of taco bell and then just left it on the floor (laughs) And I remember getting to my car, like, who the fuck would do that? Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, I used to smoke crack in the school zone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I used to fucking throw crack pipes out the window because mm-hmm. I was done with them. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on in my brain yep. where I'm like, been clean a couple of years and like now I'm like, who would throw out their whole Taco Bell on the floor? <laughs> who would do who that? Who would do that, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, I remember I started laughing. I was like, I need to just reel it in. That yeah. was crazy. Yeah, and, but that's... That's my first thought. Of course, because my first thought is always addictive and alcoholic yeah. in nature. Always. Negative. Always. I don't know if you got to call it something done. I don't know if it fell by accident. I just think that some guy was walking ate his Taco Bell and just threw it on the floor. Next to my car. Next to my car. Right. Yeah. You when know. I feel restless, irritable, discontent is because some person, place, thing, or situation is not to my liking. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's not to the liking. It's yeah. not to everyone's liking. It's just to my liking. Yeah. I can find fault in the stars. Mm-hmm. I can find perfection and pick it apart. You know, mm-hmm. that's why in the program, like picking out a God of my understanding was so important mm-hmm. that I didn't need your God. I didn't need somebody else's God. The first meeting mm-hmm. with my sponsor, he said, listen, why do you, um, why do you want me to sponsor you? And I said, well, you have this spirituality that I really like. And he said, let me stop you there. That's mine. And you can't have that. And it was like a tongue in cheek thing to say, but what he did is he made me responsible for my own recovery, right? Mm -hmm. He never told me anything to do, never told me I had to do anything. Mm -hmm. He led by example. I watched that example. I took other people's example. Mm -hmm. I listened to what everybody said, and I built this puzzle, right? Like Mm -hmm. with all these different pieces of what I liked. This is what I liked. This is what I didn't like, so I'm going to take that piece out. And I built a life based upon what these people were doing. And like I said, I watched their rest 23. I watched Mm -hmm. what they were doing outside of the meetings. I watched about what kind of employees they were. I watched about what kind of sons, what kind of brothers, what kind Mm -hmm. of husbands, what kind of fathers they were being. And that's who I wanted to be around, you know? Like, how are you being a man of integrity? Like, what what all the literature mm-hmm. says, I wanted to emulate the things that those people were doing. When I first got clean, I remember just really judging what kind of car people drove. Mm. And I remember being like, you know, I, I want a sponsor who's, like, successful. Yeah. He's got a shit together. Yeah. I didn't even know what recovery looked like. Mm. To me, if you were years clean... You should have a nice car. You won. Yeah, yeah. You, like you should have years clean. Well, yeah, if you had years clean, you're all in the same boat. Impossibility, yep. you know? Yep. I remember like, you know, I'm going to get a guy who's, you know, got a nice car, mm-hmm. got a hot girlfriend, all the things that I want. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was other things to want. Right. To me, it's like get someone who has what you what you want. Right. And I'm like, okay, who's got a nice car? And, and I remember I like someone, what they said in the media, and then I go see them getting like a shitty car. I'm like, ah, no, not that, that guy. <laughs> and it wasn't until a while where I... I didn't care what anybody drove. I started to look at people and be like, wow, that guy makes me feel so important. Yeah, man. Like this guy makes people feel special. Yeah, man. Like he listens to people. Yep. He And I remember thinking like, bro, like this guy who dedicated his whole life to a 12-step program and sponsors half the room and like does all these things, like that guy's a gangster. Yes. Like that guy's fucking cool. Yeah. Like that's what I want to be like. Yeah. Like impacting people and making a difference. I started to see recovery. And before mm. I didn't see it, I couldn't mm. see it. I thought just thought if you were clean years, you had it. Yeah. And I started to see that some people's presence is just so 
positive. And you're just like, how the fuck? And it's like, dude, every day. It's not like a couple days. Like, bro, I've been seeing this guy for years. And for years, he's like hugging everybody. He's got a smile on his face. You ask him, you call him anytime. He answers the phone. And it's like, bro, how are you just untiredly positive? Right. But you know what? There was years where I was untiredly negative. Absolutely. Always in a bad mood. Always had bullshit going on. Yep. Always had a story to tell somebody to feel sorry for me. Yep. You know, forever stories. And it, and, and it's what you're talking about is legacy, mm-hmm. right? Like, what's the legacy that I want to leave? Mm-hmm. Is the legacy some material stuff that I want to leave? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because that's what I want. You know, at least in my experience, the only reason I wanted that is because that's all I could relate to. Yeah. I thought that success and living a life beyond my wildest dreams, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was because I had to have the Maserati in the parking mm-hmm. lot and I had to have the huge house and I had to have the boat. And it means none of that. Mm-hmm. Like it means none of that. To me, the legacy stuff is like, how do my kids see me treating their mother? Because that's what's going to get passed down. That's what's yeah. going to break generational curses, man. Yeah. That's what's going to break the cycle of active addiction, mm-hmm. you know, to be like there was love in my household and that's all mm-hmm. I saw and that's what I want to emulate. Not just that, it's like, dude, my dad said something, he did it. Mm. You know, and like sometimes to me, it's like, that's like one of the most important things to me. It's like, it's like, bro, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Yep. And if I can't or I won't, like I communicate yep. before it's too late. Yep. Even just like communication, like, dude, I hate communicating. Like I hate having conversations that are like, I don't want to have them. Like I'm really horrible at it. Yeah. And it's like a lot of times it's because I have that council board that you're, you know, the board of, uh, board of trustees, <laughs> boards right? of trustees yeah. that they'll be like, dude, why don't you just have a fucking conversation with this person? And it's the last thing I want to do. Yeah. Cause I'll have this whole story about why I'm mad and da 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 da. And they'd be like, well, did you talk to them? I'd be like, well, I'm not talking to them. Did any of that even happen for real? You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Like, did any of that happen for real? Or is that something that's made up mm-hmm. up here? Yeah. Right. To where I actually would talk to the person and they'd be like, what do you- what are you talking about? Yeah. None of that is even true. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I will make this giant scenario in yeah. my head, like you said, to get out of talking, uh-huh. to get out of solving problems. Because yeah. when, when I'm wearing a stinky blanket, right? Uh-huh. Whether it's resentment or whether it's fear, whether it's anger, right? Like everybody else sees that it's stinky. Mm-hmm. Everybody else sees that it's disgusting. I feel it as comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I want to wear it and continue to wear it and continue to wear it and continue mm-hmm. to wear it until something changes in me. Everybody yeah. else has already backed away. Everybody mm-hmm. else doesn't mm-hmm. want anything to do with me. But I have to change that behavior until I'm like, man, this is not working. This stinky yeah. blanket is pushing everybody away. Hey, well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. I love you very much. Love it's you always too, a pleasure. Yes. And you know what? Like the first time I had you speak, I remember I hadn't seen you in years, but I would see on social media that you were clean. You know, swear to God, like I remember when you came and spoke, blew me away. And it was so cool to see you because like I still have that image of you. Of course. Of Fark Detox. In the blue in scrubs. The blue, in the blue scrubs. <laughs> like time and time and time yes. again, just like, because uh, you never really would have like a story or an excuse. Mm-hmm. You were just like, oh, I'm back here. Yep. And I remember just being like, damn. And to see you get clean. Yeah. So another part of recovery is that like I do things that reaffirm mm. already what I believe. Mm. So like when I help somebody else, it reaffirms everything that I'm doing. And it's like still, it's like, you know, you have to constantly put it into the fire to get it stronger. Yeah, for sure. Um, hey, sure. thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks you. for having me, man. Absolutely. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.